2 Peter chapter 2 and verses 1 through 3 is what we'll be covering tonight. I invite you to follow along as I read aloud. But there were false prophets also among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. And many shall follow their pernicious ways, by reason of whom the way of truth shall be evil spoken of. And through covetousness shall they with feigned words make merchandise of you, whose judgment now of a long time lingereth not, and their damnation slumbereth not. We are in a spiritual war. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities, against powers, against the rulers of the darkness of this world, against spiritual wickedness in high places. Satan and his army are bent on causing destruction and chaos in an effort to prevent the lost from being saved and to prevent the saved from growing in sanctification. And just like in a physical war, one of the tactics that Satan loves to use is sabotage. He deploys secret agents who will pose as allies to the faith, but who are in reality enemies of the gospel. And by means of deceit and manipulation, they corrupt the truth, they spread lies, and they bring reproach on the name of Christ. And the ensuing confusion turns people away from receiving the gospel and it discourages Christians from growing in grace. I can't tell you how many times I have been asked the question, well, if Christianity is the only right religion, why are there so many other religions out there? And the answer is because Satan loves to create confusion. And one of the ways he has done it is by creating a lot of counterfeit religions out there for people to pick from. He doesn't care which one, just so long as they don't choose the truth. Peter was a veteran of the spiritual war. He had faced off against false prophets many times. He saw the betrayal of Judas Iscariot. He argued against the elders and the priests. He had dealt with the Judaizers in the church, answering the question about whether Gentiles had to keep the Old Testament law. He knew that there had always been false prophets and he knew that there always would be Satan's agents who would strive to corrupt and deceive. So in 2 Peter chapter 2, Peter goes to great lengths to warn the believers about the danger of spiritual sabotage. And that's the title of the lesson tonight, Spiritual Sabotage. Because there are false teachers and false prophets, even in our day today, who are trying to corrupt, to deceive, and to destroy the work of God. If we are not on our guard, we, those of us in here tonight, can unwittingly be influenced by heretical teachings that will hinder our growth and bring spiritual harm. And I don't, I don't say that to be dramatic because I am more convinced than ever that the amount of false doctrine that is being spread today is more than ever because there's greater access to information than there's ever been. That means greater access to bad information, misinformation, lies and deceit. And the rate at which Christians are being caught up in these things 
is astounding. So we must arm ourselves with the truth and vigilantly guard against false doctrine and those who would spread it. I want you to see with me, first of all, the presence of false prophets that Peter talks about in verse 1 to begin with. He says, But there were false prophets among the people, even as there shall be false teachers among you. Now, let's back up just a couple of verses for context here, because at the end of chapter number 1, Peter talks about his personal eyewitness experience of the glory of Christ on the Mount of Transfiguration. And then he states that we have a more sure word of prophecy, referring to the written scriptures. And he makes a statement at the end of a verse, uh, end of chapter one, that uh, verse twenty-one: for the prophecy came not in old time by the will of man, but holy men of God spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost. So he's just made that statement when he comes. We come into chapter two, which. In the original letter, there were not chapter or verse divisions. So this would have just been the next paragraph, perhaps, or, or can, we might think of it that way. But he begins with and what in our Bible is the word but. But in contrast to the holy men of God that God used to write scriptures, but there were also false prophets. There were also people who were spreading lies who were saying, thus saith the Lord, when God didn't actually say it. So just as surely as there were holy men of God who spake as they were moved by the Holy Ghost, there were also false prophets who spread lies and deceit. The Old Testament is full of them. Many of them are, are named and their stories are told to us. Elijah confronted the false prophets on Mount Carmel. You remember that showdown with the... Uh, uh, the test at the altar and calling down, praying down fire from heaven. Uh, a prophet by the name of Micaiah was challenged by a false prophet named Zedekiah one time, who actually actually struck him, hit him in the face, and and uh, uh, and and confronting him. That is the false prophet hit Micaiah, the true prophet. Uh, there were false prophets who opposed Jeremiah. You read his story, and and there were those who. Uh, who opposed him so much they actually went to the king and convinced the king to put Jeremiah in prison under charges of domestic terrorism and treason. But one of the most famous examples of a false prophet in the Old Testament is the example of Balaam. You remember the story of Balaam and more famously his donkey who talked? Peter actually mentions him later in chapter 2. Look down at verses 15 and 16. Now this whole chapter he's talking about false prophets. In describing them, he says in verse 15, which have forsaken the right way and gone astray, following the way of Balaam, the son of Bosor, who loved the wages of unrighteousness, but was rebuked for his iniquity, the dumbass speaking with a man's voice, forbade the madness of the prophet. Now that to me is a very interesting example of a false teacher. Here's why. If you remember that story from the book of Numbers, Israel is, is, is come out of Egypt and they're traveling on the way to the promised land. And along the way, they've had a couple of battles and God has given them great victory. They get close to an area called Midian. And there was a particular king named Balak who was afraid of the Israelites. 
And so he called on Balaam the prophet. Balaam was not an Israelite, all right? He was what we would call a Gentile, but he was a prophet of God. He called on him and he offered him a great sum of money and a lot of fame and a lot of prestige if Balaam would curse the Israelites. Well, initially Balaam didn't want to do that. Uh, And then finally he said, okay, I'll go ask God about it. Well, repeatedly God would not allow Balaam to curse the Israelites. This happened on several occasions. Finally, on the last occasion, Balaam stood up and he was going to curse the Israelites, but you know what came out of his mouth instead? A blessing. God literally turned his curse into a blessing. And finally, Balaam had to say to Balak, I can't curse them. God won't let me. And in the book of Numbers, the story just kind of ends ends there. In the next chapter, we read about the Israelites committing fornication with the daughters of Midian. And that's the instance where God judged the people and many thousands of people died because of their sin. It is later that we find out in Numbers 31 and verse number 16 that it was actually Balaam who taught Balak, told Balak how to get the Israelites to bring God's curse upon themselves. So the conversation might have went something like this. I can't curse them. But here's how you, King Balak, can get the Israelites to bring God's curse upon themselves. Send your young ladies down there to tempt and entice the young men of Israel. Because God has commanded them that they can't intermingle with the heathen people. And so if you can seduce them, you will get them to bring God's curse upon themselves. And that's exactly what happened. Now, this is why I find it very interesting to using him as an example of a false prophet is because nothing he said was technically untrue. You realize that? Nothing he said was technically untrue. But it was through his influence that God's people were led into sin. And a lot of false teaching is so deceptive because it's very hard to say, well, this is technically blatantly false. It's very carefully crafted to avoid any obvious errors, any obvious heresy, but it's designed to lead God's people astray to seduce them into sin. Now, that's the Old Testament. And Peter says there were also false prophets among them, but there will also be false teachers among you. So just as there were false prophets in the Old Testament, there will be false teachers in the New Testament era too. This hasn't stopped. It continues going on. And I think arguably may be worse now than ever. And that is why the New Testament is filled with warnings to be on the lookout for false teachers. Turn with me to the book of Matthew chapter 7. And let's just look at one passage in the words of our Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, where he warned that we should be careful, be aware, be wary of false prophets. Matthew chapter 7, verse 15. Beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing, but inwardly they are ravening wolves. You shall know them by their fruits. Do men gather grapes of thorns or figs of thistles? 
Even so, every good tree bringeth forth good fruit, but a corrupt tree bringeth forth evil fruit. A good tree cannot bring forth evil fruit, neither can a corrupt tree bring forth good fruit. Every tree that bringeth forth not good fruit is hewn down and cast into the fire. Wherefore, by their fruits ye shall know them. Jesus himself said, Beware of false prophets. They're going to sneak in and they're going to try and destroy God's people. We cannot afford to be naive. There are many so-called Bible teachers and preachers who are actually false teachers. That's why Jesus said, by their fruits you shall know them. You need to do a little bit of fruit examination. Practice a little bit of spiritual discernment. Ask the Lord to give you wisdom to know, is this person teaching the truth or not? And the way that we discern that ultimately is to critique every teaching to see if it lines up with the scripture or else we are going to be in danger of being carried away with false doctrine. Search the scriptures daily, whether those things are so. Don't take anybody's word for it. Go back to the Bible. Say, does the Bible actually say this? Listen, just because somebody quotes a Bible verse doesn't mean that what they said before or after it is necessarily true. Sometimes false teachers will use Scripture to actually convince you of a lie. You know how I know that? Not only because I've seen it, but because I read where Satan did that to the Lord Jesus Christ. Did you know that when Satan was tempting Jesus, he actually quoted the Bible to Jesus in one of those temptations? When he was tempting him to jump off the pinnacle of the temple, he quoted the verse saying that God, his angels would, would take him up and that God, that, that God would protect him. Well, Jesus wasn't fooled for one instant. He knew that's not what that verse meant. That verse was not intended to be a license to tempt God with your presumptuous activity. And he told Satan as much. So if Satan himself will use scripture to try and tempt and deceive, don't be surprised if those who are doing his bidding do the same thing. So critique everything. Make sure that it lines up with scripture because there are false teachers. It's not a matter of if there will be. It's a matter of where are they? Let's be on the lookout for them. Number two, Let's note together now the ploy of the false prophets. That is, how do they operate? Well, verse 1 in 2 Peter chapter 2 goes on to say, Who privately shall bring in damnable heresies, even denying the Lord that bought them, and bring upon themselves swift destruction. How is it that false prophets are so successful in leading so many people astray? Well, first of all, false prophets do not announce themselves as such. They're not going to stand up and say, I'm Reverend so-and-so and I'm here to preach heresy. That's not how they operate. They come in secretly. They sneak in undercover. Jesus said they are wolves in sheep's clothing. False prophets are master deceivers and they are experts at spiritual camouflage. It's deer season right now. Some of, some of us in here dabble in hunting a little bit. 
We understand that uh, camouflage is an important aid in that process. Of course, nowadays they have rules like you have to have so many square inches of bright orange in certain places, which always just, I know there's a deer council somewhere that's just laughing that we do that. You know, it's like, oh, they're all camouflaged, but there's that bright orange thing. They say deer are colorblind. My question is, how do they know that? I don't know. What does that have to do with Second Peter? Well, notice where it says, who privately, who privately shall bring in damnable heresies. They don't come in announcing themselves as heretics and false prophets. They sneak in and they disguise themselves as if they were true believers, but they're not. They dress themselves up as a sheep, as a follower of Christ. They can do that literally. But more importantly, they do that figuratively. They know how to put on a convincing performance, so convincing, perhaps, that some Christians are not even aware. And oftentimes, false prophets and false teachers are actually seen by many as being the cream of the crop in the Christian world. They're looked to as the leaders, as the people who have have it all figured out. Christians can be totally unaware of their presence. Jude verse 4 says that, For there are certain men crept in unawares, who before of old were ordained to this condemnation, ungodly men, turning the grace of our God into lasciviousness and denying the only Lord God and our Lord Jesus Christ. They creep in unawares. Another thing that happens this time of year, in addition to deer hunting with the cold snap, uh, some will experience an, a surge of mice coming into the house. And we had that happen uh, one house we lived in in North Carolina, especially. We lived uh, kind of in the middle of the woods and across the street from some fields. And the first cold snap of the season, we would always, within just a few days, we'd start seeing evidence of mice everywhere. And you know what? Those mice, they were so rude. They didn't knock on the door and ask if they could come in. They didn't ring the doorbell. They didn't call me up and say, hey, can we crash at your place for a little bit? No, you know what they did? They crept in unawares. That's all right. I got the last laugh in the end. But that's what false prophets do. They creep in. They sneak in. And what they bring are teachings that Peter calls damnable heresies. It's false doctrine worthy of condemnation. It's full of lies and deception. Look, we're not just talking about differences of opinion here. We're talking about heretical teachings that are damaging to the cause of Christ. And they might be right, wrong about a lot of things, but the most dangerous of the heresies involves their teaching about the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ. Notice the phrasing there, even denying the Lord that bought them. Their teaching amounts to a denial of Christ in the gospel. Same language that Jude uses in verse 4, denying the Lord God. Now it may be hard to detect at first because they usually don't tell you things like, just so you know, Jesus can't save you. No, 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 that's not how they work. They mix lies in with the truth so that the result is a different gospel than the true gospel. They'll take elements of the gospel and they'll mix in lies to create a counterfeit. They teach doctrines that undermine the truth of the gospel. 
And a lot of times they'll leave the outline, the skeleton of the gospel alone. But they'll introduce a lot of other errant teaching teachings that have to do with the application of the gospel. And it undermines the gospel. Now, Jude says they turn the grace of our God into lasciviousness. That is, they, they teach a, a, a teaching of grace that is an excuse to sin. And that is a distortion of the gospel. And those who spread such teachings are under God's condemnation. Paul had some strong words for these people too. In Galatians chapter 1, he said, I marvel that you are so soon removed from him that called you into the grace of Christ into another gospel, which is not another that is another of the same kind. It's a different kind. But there be some that trouble you and would pervert the gospel of Christ. Now listen to what he says here. He says, but though we or an angel from heaven preach any other gospel to you, unto you than that which ye have preached unto you, let him be accursed. As we said before, so say I now again, if any man preach any other gospel unto you than that ye have received, let him be accursed. Paul said, I don't care if it's me. I don't care if it's someone else. I don't care if a, some creature shows up claiming to be an angel from heaven. If they teach something different than what you have received, let them be accursed. Let them be anathema. That is the idea of being condemned to hell for all of eternity. That's strong language. They bring in these heresies. That's an interesting word in and of itself. The word heresy, we think of it in the general sense of something that's just uh, doesn't line up with orthodox teaching. But the word itself actually carries a connotation of a division. And so some places it's it's translated in the in the Bible as a, a sect, as in a section. So you have the sect of the Pharisees and so on and so forth. You have these little divisions of people and groups aligning themselves with certain beliefs. And here's the thing. Heresy causes division. And in the body of Christ, nothing is more harmful than a divisive spirit. That's why Ephesians chapter 4 emphasizes that we're to have the unity of the spirit and the bond of peace. And he lists there the number of things that we have in common. There's one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, etc., etc. We have a lot in common when we are communing around the gospel. And so we are to be careful that we don't allow heresy to divide the house of God. A house divided against itself cannot stand. Dealing with heresy properly is actually so important that it's one of the things that rises to the level of church discipline. Titus chapter 3, verses 10 and 11, a man that is an heretic, after the first and second admonition, reject, knowing that he that is such is subverted and sinneth, being condemned of himself. But you know, sadly, many churches and many Christians are very passive, far too passive, when it comes to dealing with heresies and who they allow to influence them with biblical teaching. And so, Peter says in verse 2, many shall follow their pernicious ways. False prophets are often successful at what they do. They convince many people to follow them and their warped teaching, their pernicious ways. 
I mean, if you want to evaluate on the, in terms of is it successful, do they accomplish their goal of gaining followers, gaining an influence? Often they do. To the point that the number of people following them seems to others as an indicator that they must be right. So you should follow them too. And this has only gotten worse because one of the ways that the success of online influence influencers today is gauged is by how many followers do you have? How many followers do you have? How many subscribers? How many followers? And so people point, well, this person's got a million followers. They must have something figured out. Well, the only thing they may have figured out is how to get people to follow them. You know, what they're saying may be absolutely blatantly false. And really, that's just another form of the age-old excuse everyone else is doing it. Some of you and, and I may have tried to use that excuse with our parents in the past. Why can't I do this? Everyone else is doing it. To which our parents said what? If everyone else jumped off a bridge, would you? To which the more smart aleck of us said, well, I'd wait a little while until the pile got high enough, and yes, then I would. No, we wouldn't say that. But you know, when you follow someone simply because they have a lot of followers, that's what you're doing. You're just saying, well, everybody else is doing it. There's a really poor reason to allow someone to influence you. Just because something works in the sense that it, sense that it accomplishes the goal of getting followers doesn't mean that it's right. Paul, writing about this similar uh, issue in 1 Timothy chapter 6, he said, if any man teach otherwise and consent not to wholesome words, he's talking about false prophets, even the words of our Lord Jesus Christ and to the doctrine which is according to godliness, he is proud, knowing nothing, but doting about questions and strives of words, whereunto cometh envy, strife, railings, evil surmising, perverse disputings of men of corrupt minds and destitute of truth, supposing that gain is godliness, from such withdraw thyself. You hear that? The false prophet will use their success as proof, again, air quotes, that what they're doing is right. Well, if this is wrong, how come so many people are following me? If I'm not teaching the truth, how, many, how come so many people are going, coming to my rallies? If I'm not teaching the truth, how come I'm making so much money? Et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. Any form of gain. How come I'm so popular? How come my books sell so much? How come people like me so much? Any form of gain, they will try to use as proof of godliness. Paul says, stay away from those kind of people. Because that's not how we gauge godliness. We gauge godliness by, does it line up with the word of God or not? Well, the result of their false teaching is twofold. First of all, because of their teaching, Peter says the way of truth will be evil spoken of. They give the world reason to despise God, the gospel, and God's people. Now understand that the world is going to speak against the truth no matter what we do. We can't help that. But what we can do is we can make sure that we don't give them any good reason to do so. I, I think about what the prophet Nathan told David after David committed adultery with Bathsheba and then murdered Uriah. Nathan told David that he had given the heathen cause to blaspheme the Lord. And that's what these false prophets do. 